So this morning, we want to talk about Pentecost, Pentecost Sunday, and what that means. I have a lot of scriptures today, so I'm going to ask you, uh, if you're here or if you're at home, to get out a pen and paper and get your Bible out. I know that uh, I tend to move relatively quickly, and sometimes it's hard to keep up with me, and I apologize for that. But if you, if you uh, write the scriptures down, you can go back to them later as well. But uh, just get your Bible out, and uh, let's talk about what it means to be, um, what does Pentecost mean for us? You know, I will say that uh, as long as I've been pastoring for about 10 years, and uh, I don't think I've ever preached a sermon on Pentecost Sunday. Can you believe that? Here I am, a Pentecostal pastor, and I've never preached a sermon on Pentecost. So I'm excited today about what that is going to talk to us about and what we can learn when we talk about what Pentecost is. I believe in Pentecost. I mean, I'm Pentecostal. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. I speak in a heavenly prayer language on a regular basis, and I use it every day of my life, and it just gives me a, a, a real closeness with the Lord. Um, I'm asking him to work through me every day, and as, as, I'm, sure, as I'm sure you are as well. And uh, so we want to just talk about and understand more about what happened on that day of Pente- at Pentecost. The term Pentecost was a term for a, a Jewish festival, one of men, three Jewish festivals. The term Pentecost from, comes from the Greek word meaning 50th or 50. It refers to the festival celebrated on the 50th day after the Passover, which was also known as the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of 50 Days. And it was a Jewish festival uh, also called Shavuot, primarily a thanksgiving for the first fruits of the coming or of the wheat harvest. Um, it was a celebrated time when Moses was known as forgiving the Ten Commandments and as a, uh, the giver of the law as well. And so it's celebrating the harvest, celebrating the giving of the law from Moses and the Ten Commandments. And this particular holiday, all of one of three holidays that all the Jewish men were required to travel from their homes to Jerusalem to worship and to sacrifice. So this was a, a big day of travel, a big day of occurrence in, Jer- in Jerusalem. And this was, on this particular day, was just a normal festival. There was nothing expected any different this year than any other year. It was just a continued Jewish celebration of the harvest and also the, giver of the, law, the giving of the law and just what, we, just what good Jewish people did. So from man's perspective, this was a normal holiday. Just like we have normal Christmases, normal Easter's, normal holidays, this was a normal holiday for the people. But from God's perspective, in the, in the time that he had set forward, this was more than just a simple celebration of the harvest, more than just an acknowledgement and a celebration of Moses giving the law. This was an anticipation in heaven of a greater harvest that was coming. A greater harvest than simply harvesting wheat or a physical sustenance. This God was anticipating a harvest in the form of human souls. Because as the beginning of the church, this is when God established the coming of the Holy Spirit to be a powerful member of the Trinity that was going to be the primary agent on earth because Jesus left. 
because Jesus had to leave. And we're going to talk about how this all happened. But Jesus had to leave, and God then sent the Holy Spirit to then live with men and to baptize men. So the significance of Pentecost that day was more than what men could anticipate. It was more than what they could see happening. But it was a spiritual anticipation of God giving the gift of the Holy Spirit to men. And we are the fruit. We are the fruit of what God was establishing that day. So let's go back and let's, let's read through this. Turn in your books, your Bibles, to Acts chapter 1. And let's read the account in Acts that Jesus is setting up what is going to happen, yet he didn't indicate exactly when it was going to happen. He had a plan. Acts chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. We're going to read the first five verses. Acts chapter 1. It says, In my former book, Theopolis, I can never say these big words. Uh, this was the writer of Luke, all right? I, he wrote the book of Luke, and now he's writing the book of Acts. He said, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. At one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. So this is the command. This is the beginning. This is what Jesus was instructing them to do. He said, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now let's pray for a minute. Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, we invite you to make this word alive today. Maybe we've read this many times in the past. But Lord, I pray that it become fresh and new to us today. That it would inspire us like, it, like it's brand new. Just give us a hunger. Help us to be uh, willing to hear in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus was talking about a gift. That he was going to give a gift, a heavenly gift, to the people that day. So let's talk about gifts for a minute. What do gifts represent to you? What do gifts mean to you? What is a gift? A gift is something that's given to you and you don't deserve it or you haven't earned it. It's not something, it's not a wage. It's not something that you've worked for. A gift is a, a gift. And it's some, most of the time it's a surprise. You don't know what it is. Do you? If, if you knew what it is, if you knew what it was, it, it, wouldn't, it would take a lot of the, the joy and a lot of the, the fun out of getting the gifts. So you, you don't know what it is typically, and most of the time or some of the time you don't even know when you're going to get it. It's a surprise. Maybe um, you have no idea since you don't know what it is, you, you don't have any idea how you're going to react to it. It might be a really emotional time for you. It might be a gift that maybe you really desired and really never had any idea of ever getting it, and, and it might just really blow your socks off. Or other times you may look at it and say, well, thanks for the tie. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, dads. Uh, but, you know, gifts are just that. They, they come as, a, as an unintended surprise most of the time. The anticipation of getting a gift can be exciting. 
It can be a really fun time when you think you're going to get something. But I will say that gifts are typically something you haven't had before. It's not a regifted thing. It's not something that you've already been, you've already used it, and now you're just getting it another form of it. No, a, typically a gift is something you've never had before. It, it's a new thing to you. You don't know. You don't know how to use it. You don't know what it's going to do for you. You don't have any idea what the impact it's going to have on your life. You just get this gift that you've unwrapped or you've been given, and now you have the joy of receiving it, and you have the responsibility on how you're going to use it. Gifts are really interesting. So let's go ahead and continue to set the stage here of what's really happening on this day. This was 40 days after the death and the resurrection of Christ. He's met with many people around his region at that time. Jesus has had uh, lots of opportunities to minister with the disciples. He's um, presented himself to uh, lots of people. In fact, in one time we see in Scripture that it says over 500 people at one time. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 6 tells us that after he appeared to more than 500 of brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Now, it's important that we understand that because it's important that we recognize and know historically that Jesus is proven to be alive again. We saw him die. Well, we didn't see him. They saw him die. They took him off the cross. They prepared his body for burial. They put him in a tomb. He was dead, stone cold dead for three days. He rose again and he presented himself to hundreds of people. Hundreds of people saw Jesus. So there's no question in our mind that Jesus is alive again. No question in the mind of the disciples and the followers that he's still alive. So the passage that we read in Acts 1, being that these are some of Jesus' last words before he ascended, are very important words. These are some of the last things that Jesus has instructed his disciples to do. And typically, the last things you say are probably most, some of the most important things you say. Everybody wants to be be around someone to hear their last words because that's the thing in their heart that they most want to make sure gets out. So Jesus is saying, guys, I have a gift for you. Go wait for it. Don't miss it. I have a gift for you. That's why Pentecost is so important. That's why Pentecost is so important then and it is today. Because Jesus was saying, I have a gift and I want to give it to you, so please be there to receive it. Now, we need to know that the Holy Spirit has been active all throughout the history of the Bible. This is not the first time the Holy Spirit's been mentioned. In the Old Testament Bible, in the Old Testament passages, the Holy Spirit was present quite often, but he was present in a time and in a season in people's lives. He, he anointed people for a particular thing or a particular event, and then after that event was ha- happened or occurred, then the Holy Spirit left that person. It didn't typically reside with them like the Holy Spirit resides in us today. So it's a different work. That's why it's a gift, because they hadn't had it before. They hadn't had the experience of the Holy Spirit in the past like he's going to have it on Pentecost. That's why it's a gift. It's a new thing. But the Holy Spirit is very active. It has been always active in all of creation. The Holy Spirit was active on the first day of creation, Genesis chapter 1, where it says the Holy Spirit hovered over the earth. He hovered over the void, the barrenness. And and when God spoke the word, the Holy Spirit did the work. 
and creation began and happened. So the Holy Spirit's always been here. But now he's, he's going to be given in a gift different than he's ever been before. And that's why it's so special for us. See, Jesus, in his time of leaving, he spoke many things to the disciples. And you can only imagine some of the concern that they had. Uh, Jesus is alive again. They thought they lost him, but now he's back. And, and now he's talking about leaving again. And he's thinking, oh, and there, you can see, you can just imagine the angst in the hearts and the lives of the disciples and those closest to Jesus about why are you leaving again? Man, we just got you back. We just spent time with you. We don't want you to leave. And so it caused some great, great fear, great anxiety. But God had a plan. God had a plan for that day that was bigger than them, bigger than their anxiety, bigger than than their anticipation. And can I say that God has a plan for you today too? He's got a plan for us today, too, bigger than us, bigger than what we can ever imagine. God has a plan for us, and he wants us to be willing to receive the plan no matter how it looks in his life. The Gospel of John records Jesus' words to disciples, to his disciples about the future coming of the Holy Spirit, and Jesus continues to speak to his disciples to continue to educate them. So let's, let's turn to, to the Bible uh, to John chapter 14. John chapter 14 and beginning at verse 26. Beginning at verse 26, it says, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say I am going away and I'm coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And Jesus says, I have told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe. So there's no secrets here. Jesus is very clear that he's telling his, his people, his men, his disciples, and those closest to him that God has a plan bigger than, bigger than Jesus, bigger than him, because he's got to go to the Father. And if he doesn't go to the Father, then the plan doesn't happen. So Jesus was preparing his guys for the day that was coming. And even, they, and even though they thought it couldn't get any better than what it, what, what it was, Jesus said, yes, it can. I mean, think of it this way. They were with Jesus. He was alive again. And how much better can it get? But I think that's just setting the theme for what Pentecost really is. And I think that the reoccurring theme of Pentecost is the anticipation of a new and better life than what I had before. It's, it's the theme of Pentecost throughout all of this. It's saying there's something new coming, a better thing coming, a gift that you haven't had before. And it's going to make your life better than what it was before. I think that's so important that we understand that this is a personal thing. I know that when we speak of the Holy Spirit and speak about being baptized in the Holy Spirit, I know that this causes great dissension in many churches because it can become something that, that it becomes, it, it can be seen as a, a club or it can be seen as because I speak in tongues, I'm better than you. Well, can I just dispel that right now? 
I don't want to ever go down that path. It doesn't make anybody better than anybody else. But can I, do, can I say this much? That it's going to make you better than what you were. The Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's a personal thing for me. It makes me better than what I was. It doesn't make me better than you. It makes me better than me. And I think that's where we have to focus. We have to make sure that our focus is not about comparing to other people, comparing to another church, and just don't let the enemy take us down that path. The enemy's been too successful over the years to take us down into an us versus them. And that's not what it's about. Let me just recognize that. It's about me being better than me. (laughs) And you being better than you. And then when we come together, we're all better than ourselves. (laughs) Because it's all about Jesus. It's all about the Holy Spirit. It's all about getting closer to God. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He comes as a comforter. He comes as a paraclete. He comes as something to take us into relationship closer with Jesus. It's not about you and me. It's about him. And when I can recognize that it's an anticipation of a new and a better mic, then I can accept that. It's a new and a better Jim. It's a new and a better Jackie. It's, of course, you can't get any better than Jackie. But it's a, new, <laughs> it's a new and a better person. New and improved, right? It's a great marketing scheme, but it's the truth. And with that, then, I can have the joy and the anticipation of what's coming. I love that. You see, when I got saved, it was good. The moment, that day of my salvation was the best day of my life. Can I just tell you that? The day that Jesus forgave me of my sin, and I was free, I moved from death to life eternally. That is the biggest day of your life. That's the first supernatural event that really means something to you because it's your moment of salvation. It's the time now that you can call God Father and he will call you son and daughter. We move from an enemy of God to a child of God. We are adopted into the family of God at that moment of salvation. That is the most important day in your life. Surpasses anything else. Nothing more important than salvation. Let me just tell you that. So how much better can it get? So how much better can it get? Well, that's what Pentecost is all about. Now, let me ask you the question. When did the disciples experience their day of salvation? Have you ever thought about that? When was the day that the disciples got saved? They were with Jesus for three years. Were they saved when they were walking with Jesus? Were they saved when Jesus was alive? When did did they get saved? I have an answer. Maybe you already know the answer. Turn in your Bible to John chapter 20. The answer comes from the Word of God. It doesn't come from me. John chapter 20, starting at verse 19. Jesus has died. He's resurrected. He's in one of these ministering times with the disciples. It says, beginning at verse 19 of John 20, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked, For fear of the Jewish leaders, 
Jesus came and stood among them. Okay, set the stage. The disciples are all together afraid. Jesus has died. Um, They know he's risen again, but they haven't seen him. They're afraid of the Jewish leaders. They've killed Jesus. Are they going to kill them? All right, they're, they're fearful. They've locked the doors. All of a sudden, Jesus appears in the room. He just appears. And then he said, peace be with you. Verse 20. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. That was the moment of the disciples' salvation. That was the moment that they got saved. Because Jesus had died. He had already paid the price of sin. He hung on the cross for their sins, just like he hung on the cross for my sin and your sins. And then when Jesus came to them, he said, now, guys, receive the Holy Spirit. That was their moment of salvation. When you and I got saved, we received the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit entered into your life upon salvation. That's the first supernatural occurrence or experience with the Holy Spirit in your life. Well, probably the first is the day that he wooed you, where he convicted you of your sin, where he told you, he made you aware that there's something different and something wrong with your life and you need to change. That was the beginning of the process. That was the birthing process of the Holy Spirit working in your life to bring you a, 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 a sense of conviction, a sense of, oh, there's something wrong. I need a change. And then with that breathing of the Holy Spirit into your life, now you received Jesus as your Savior, and the Holy Spirit enters your life, and you become a saved person. You're a new person, a new creation in Christ Jesus. Most important day in their lives, the most important day in your lives. From this point on, it was up to the disciples, just like it's up to you and I, to live your life as a saved person, beginning and continuing the journey of life continuing on this journey through this life into eternal life, but we're on a journey with our salvation. So let me ask the question, could it get any better than that? Think about it. With the disciples now, Jesus has just breathed the Holy Spirit into their life. They're free from their sin. They have a new relationship with Abba Father. Jesus is with them. They're here now with their leader. Life is good. It can't get any better, can it? I just can't get any better for them. But again, God had more in store. God had a bigger plan. He had more than just the experience of the moment of the day. And that's the gift that Jesus was referring to. That's called the baptism in the Holy Spirit. That's the gift that the Father had in store for them. And that's the gift that the Father has in store for you and I today. Now, let's go back again. Let's, took it, let's go back into John again, and let's talk about John the Baptist. Let's talk about baptisms, right? John the Baptist um, prophesied that when he baptized, he baptized in water for the sins of the people. Jesus, however, 
baptized in the Holy Spirit. So John chapter 1. Let me find it. But I don't have it. Okay, I'm glad you got your Bibles out because I don't think I have it. John chapter 1, beginning at verse 29, and then we're going to skip down to verses 32 and 33. This is John the Baptist now, speaking of water baptism, speaking of what his, his job was to come and be the forerunner of Christ. And this is what John the Baptist says. Verse 29, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now skip down to verse 32. Then John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon him. I didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest on is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. So John is the one that baptizes in water of flesh, flesh and water, right? Jesus is the one that baptizes in the Holy Spirit. Baptism of, the wa of water and baptism in the Holy Spirit are two different things. Baptism in water is just that. It's a submersion. It's, it's, the, it's one of the things that happens shortly after you get saved. Is that you should, if you haven't, you need to. You should be water baptized. And that's a significant, um, that's a significant event in your life where it says you, where you identify with Christ and the fact that you've been buried to your sin. You go underwater, brought back up to a new life in Christ. Water baptism. That's what John did. Now, John is describing Jesus to come, and he's going to be the baptizer, if you will, of the Spirit. Different baptism. So this is the, uh, the second act of supernatural experience. The first supernatural experience was when Jesus breathed on the disciples and they received the Spirit. Your first supernatural act was when you became saved. And the, sec the second supernatural act is when we are baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, this takes us back to Acts. Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. This is describing now when the Holy Spirit descended on the people in the upper room. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Wow, what a powerful moment. A sound of a rushing wind fills the room. Tongues that look like fire come down and sit on each person. And every one of them, all 120, began to speak in languages they didn't know. The power of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That was the beginning of the church. That was the beginning. That's when Jesus said the gift of the Holy Spirit will be poured out on men. And that is the beginning of the church. So let's go back and understand a little bit more about what happened that day. The disciples were instructed by Jesus to go to Jerusalem and wait until Jesus was going to baptize them in the Holy Spirit and to prepare them for ministry. 
After Jesus ascended, the disciples and a group, about 120 in all, there was a lot of people there. There's only 12 disciples, but 120 people and or, or were at the were in the whole in, in the upper room. So a lot of other followers of Jesus were in this time. I wonder what that was like. I wonder what that room was like. I wonder what what it was like for waiting for something to happen that they had never experienced before. They had no idea what to expect. They had no idea when it was going to come, when it was going to happen. What was it going to be like when it happened? They had no idea. I'm going to come back to this later, but I just want to get us thinking about that, that, that anticipation, that level of excitement. What was going to happen Let me ask this question. What was the reason? Why did the Holy Spirit need to manifest himself differently than he'd ever manifested himself before? Why was something new required? See, everyone in the upper room that day, they were already saved. They were already a part of the family of God. They were already a child of God. They were already like the disciples. The disciples had probably led them to the salvation. We don't have record of that. We don't know how the other, you know, 102 people, or 108 people, actually, yeah, 108, actually got saved. But they did because that was, they were saved before they got to that upper room experience. That, That baptism of the Holy Spirit was not their day of salvation. It is not the same. It's a different experience. So they were already saved. So why did the Holy Spirit have to come differently? What was his purpose? Well, you're still in Acts chapter 2, right? Acts chapter 2, start at verse 5. Verse 5. Why did the Holy Spirit come? Here it is. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard, when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment. Because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Now, I'm skipping a a few verses here, but there were about 13 or 14 uh, different nations represented here. Different languages represented. Jewish people, different languages. So skip down to verse um, 15 now. Some, however... um, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the, addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain to you, listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Now, if you go back to the prophet Joel, you'll know that this is where Joel says, and I will pour out my spirit upon all men that sons and daughters will prophesy and so forth. This was the prophecy given hundreds of years before in the book of Joel that the Holy Spirit was going to come and there was going to be a baptism and there were going to be people that were going to speak in tongues and be anointed by the Holy Spirit like they had never been anointed before. This was the second experience that Peter had. Peter's first experience was salvation. The second experience now is a baptism. And this is where the power of the Holy Spirit showed up and baptized these men and all these people in a new power that made the difference in Peter's life. 
Recognize what had happened in the last few months. Let's go back in Peter's life for a minute. What happened just a few, a few weeks prior to Peter's life? Remember, Peter was the one that was the bolsterous one. He was the one that was the, the braggart. He was the one that would, be, it would make all kinds of claims. The, the, the day of Jesus, the night of Jesus' betrayal, before in the upper room, or uh, where they were having the Last Supper, Peter was saying, Jesus, I'll, I'll die for you. I will be that man that will go to the end with you. I'll never disappoint you, Jesus. I'll never leave you. And Jesus said at that point where he explained to Peter, well, Peter, let me tell you, Satan has asked if I could sift you, if he could sift you. So, Peter, your day's coming, but I'm going to pray for you that you're going to be strong enough to get through the day. So, Peter, you're, just wait. And he said something further. He said, in fact, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the cock crows this morning. You're going to deny me three times. And Peter says, no way. All right, so now fast forward. The mock trial is happening. What happens? We know the story. Jesus is being tried by the Pharisees and by the Jewish leaders, and uh, some little girl and some, pe- some people come up to Peter in the, in, the, in the area there where they could be in that courtroom, in that area, and they say, hey, aren't you one of Jesus' followers? And what does Peter say? No, I don't know him. I, I don't know. Three times he denied him, and he actually cursed that significant uh, that he didn't know Jesus. Well, Great disappointment in Peter's life. What happened to all the other disciples? They all ran as well. All 12, Judas included, all 12 deserted Jesus. So here are these men that have been with Jesus all their three years of ministry, and now they're afraid, and they've left, and they've deserted him. Not a very good start to the church, is it? (laughs) Not a very good group of guys here. Jesus is dying here, and all those guys are leaving them. So... I think we can begin to see why the Holy Spirit needed to show up because they needed, they needed some power. They needed some authority. And so even though now that Jesus has been raised to life and he's breathed on them and they've, they're, they're saved, they've received the, the salvation, there's more now than what they need. So after this day of salvation, they wait in the upper room obediently And all of a sudden, 120 people get filled with the Holy Spirit and they come staggering out of the upper room and they come flowing into the crowd and people are speaking in tongues and all these different languages are being heard and people are hearing these these Galileans speaking in their native languages and they're all amazed by it. I don't know how they could have thought they were drunk because that doesn't make any sense. I've never heard one drunk say anything that was any good. (laughs) So I don't know how they could think that just being drunk was going to give them the ability to speak in a language that they didn't learn. That doesn't make any sense. But here's the deal. That was the thing that changed Peter's life because that gave Peter a new level of power and authority he didn't have before, and he needed it. If he was going to be uh, one of the disciples, one of those that were going to build the church, as in the other disciples, they needed the power of the Holy Spirit. If you continue to read Acts 2, beginning at verse 37, we're going to hear the result then of what happened. Go down to verse 37 of Acts 2. And it said that when the people heard this, okay, now let me back up. Peter has just given a lengthy message. He didn't prepare for it. He didn't have notes for it. He didn't study for it. He got baptized in the Holy Spirit. He comes down, and now he's explaining to the people what happened. And he goes through a whole lengthy dialogue of the history of the Jewish people and what happened and who Jesus is and goes down and tells the whole thing up to this present time. So he gave a a Holy Spirit-inspired message. Then this is the result. When the people heard this message, 
They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted the message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So the church was on a fast-paced start. The Holy Spirit came, baptism in the Holy Spirit, power of the Holy Spirit. Peter gives a great message and the Holy Spirit convicts and 3,000 people are added that day to the church. And that's the beginning of it. Now, it's interesting that these disciples um, would need this power because you have to go back a little bit further in their life. They walked with Jesus for all those years, three years prior to this, and they watched Jesus do all kinds of miracles, didn't they? They watched him heal the sick. They watched him deliver um, demons. They actually even participated in that because Jesus sent them out two by two and one occasion to go out and, and deliver them and heal sick. And so they were experiencing now, they had seen what Jesus had experienced. So it only makes sense that if Jesus needed the power of the Holy Spirit in his life, because the Holy Spirit came unto Jesus when he was baptized by John the Baptist. Do you remember that? Back when the dove came and the Father in heaven said, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. That's when Jesus was baptized, if you will, not also with water, but also by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit entered Jesus' life then, and then he went off into the desert for 40 days to be tested and prepared for his ministry. But the Holy Spirit was part of his life then. So Jesus was operating all of his ministry as a man, but with the baptism, if you will, or of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So everything he did was because the Holy Spirit enabled him to do it. So it only makes sense now that the the disciples also would need the power of the Holy Spirit. How could they operate any differently? How could they operate powerfully if they didn't have what Jesus had? That's why the Holy Spirit had to come upon them like it came upon Jesus. Go back to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, beginning at verse 12. John says, very truly I tell you, or Jesus says this, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. So the same power that was operating in the life of Jesus is now available to the, in the life of the disciples. That they can do even greater things. Hard to believe. Hard to believe that they could be doing greater things than Jesus. And you know, that same power is given to us today. We have the same power to do things like Jesus did and greater things than Jesus did, all because it's about Jesus, all because it's about giving glory to the Father. Now, I know we have a hard time maybe understanding and appreciating how we can do things greater than Jesus. Maybe greater than Jesus maybe refers to the fact that Jesus, when his, in his life of ministry, he was, he was isolated to be in one place at one time. 
He couldn't be any place other than the one place because he was fully human at that time. However, when the Holy Spirit came, the Holy Spirit is omnipresent. It can be all places at all times. So maybe some of the greater things can be defined as greater in quantity as well as quality, but quantity for sure, because now the Holy Spirit can be in all places at all times. He can be working in your life, my life, and somebody's life's over here at the same time doing mighty miracles greater than what Jesus could do by himself. Make sense? So the fact that the Holy Spirit empowers us all, it gives us the ability to do the little piece that we're asked to do. Don't let the devil tell you that you have to do great things You just have to do obedient things. (laughs) You just have to do the things that Jesus or the Holy Spirit's empowering you to do. And it may be small. But when you do your small thing and I do my small thing and he does his small thing and she does her small thing, all of a sudden we're doing great things in the kingdom because we're allowing the Holy Spirit to work through us. So this doesn't have to be that you have to be the next evangelist that saves the world. It's not, remember, it's not about me and it's not about you. It's about us glorifying God and God glorifying us through the Holy Spirit in our life. And when we're obedient to do that, great things happen. The church grows and it's a mighty, mighty thing. That same power, that same power is available to us today in the exact same way. And you know, guys, We are living in such a fake world today. We need truth. We need truth more than anything else because there is so much out there. There's fake news. There's fake experiences. You can't believe anything you see on TV. They can make pigs fly. They can make whales fly. I've seen it. I've seen the commercials where this whale is flying down to New York City. I'm thinking, man, that is amazing. And it looks pretty real. I mean, you can't, so you can't believe what you see. There is so much fake. We need the true power of the Holy Spirit. There is no fake there. It is authentic. It is pure. It is holy. And it's all about relationship. I love it. It's what we need. It's what the church needs today more than anything else. You know, some say that, the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that was given in that first day or the early days of the church ended when the the Bible was written. It ended when the last disciple died because it was only given to start the church off. Well, yeah, it needed to be there to start the church off. Absolutely, the Holy Spirit was required to start the church because they couldn't have done it on their own but I don't see anywhere in Scripture where it says the devil ever quit. I I don't read anywhere in Scripture that says that the devil stopped tempting people. The devil stopped his effort to destroy the church. When the Bible was written, I don't see it says where the enemy, where the devil stopped doing what he did best, and that is to destroy people. So think about it this way. If the Holy Spirit was necessary in the early church through the baptism and the power of the Holy Spirit, if it was necessary then how much more do you think it's, he's necessary today when the devil is even that much more angry about what Jesus did on the cross? Yeah, Jesus defeated him on the cross, but the devil is still alive today. His mission is still is to seek and destroy everybody they can because he wants to take as many with him as he can into hell. There's no, there's no place in Scripture where the devil stops. So if he's not stopping, then why should the Holy Spirit stop? 
Why should the Holy Spirit say, no, they don't need me anymore because they've got the Bible? Can I just say that it's as politely as I can? It's nonsense. The Holy Spirit is just as important, if not more important in my life and in your life today than he ever was in the life of the disciples because the devil is that much more experienced. He's that much better at destroying people. And if I need, I need him now more than I ever did. I need him now more than they did. I need him now more than I did yesterday. And I'm going to need him more tomorrow than I need him today. It's an ongoing principle that I need to have the power ongoing in my life. And so it's just that. As long as the fight is going on, I need the power of the Holy Spirit. Jackie, if you would come and time would come. I just want to hopefully have made the point today that the Holy Spirit is our friend. He, he is a good, good Holy Spirit. That's why we've been talking about the fruit of the Spirit. That's why we've been on this series of the Holy Spirit for the weeks and months that we've been because I want people to recognize that he's good. He's not bad. He's not out to hurt you. He's not out to scare you. He's not out to be a... He's not out to to intimidate you. He's not out to control you, and you don't want to be controlled. He's here to help us. He is the great advocate that comes to help us. So now I want to go back to the questions that I asked earlier about those in the upper room, and I, I wonder what it was like for them in the upper room. I wonder what it was like to be waiting for something that you didn't know what was going to happen. You didn't know what the gift was going to be like. You just were told to go wait. Wait for the gift. You didn't know when it was coming. You didn't know what it was going to look like. You had no idea how to anticipate it. They were waiting for something to happen. They were simply waiting for something to happen. I wonder what kind of emotions they went through. I wonder if, you know, day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six, day seven, eight, nothing's happening. I wonder how many of them wanted to bail. I wonder how many said, I'm done. Where is this? Come on. Seriously? Uh, They had no idea. They didn't know 10 days and all of a sudden it was going to be poured out. Every day was a new day for them. And I got to wonder what was going on. Do you think there was some testing going on there in the lives of those people? Do you think that God might have been testing? Who's hungry? Who really wants the gift? Who really wants the outpouring that I'm promising? And can I tell you guys, that's the kind of the testing that the Lord's putting us through today. How hungry are we? How hungry are you? How hungry am I? How much do I want a new thing? How much hungry, how hungry am I to want a better life? To be more powerful than I was yesterday. To be a better Mike. To be a Holy Spirit-inspired Mike to be a Holy Spirit inspired, whatever your name is. Put it in there. I think God is asking us the questions. I think he's wanting to say, guys, what do you want? I'm here to give you a gift. Do you want it? Listen, it's going to be different today for all of us. It's going to be different. I don't know what your experience is going to be like. I know my experience. 
<laughs> my experience happened the first time when I was 12 years old at an altar in the old church here in Charlevoix. Reuben Womberg prayed me through, and I, got, I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit at 12 years old. <sighs> I remember it like it was yesterday. I remember him, all of a sudden I'm praying as a little boy would pray, and all of a sudden I'm speaking in a language I don't know. I can't stop. And I prayed that way for an hour. I prayed that way walking across the church lawn to get in my car and the car with my mom and dad, and I just couldn't stop speaking in tongues, and it was powerful. Now, a lot has happened since then. I'm 61 years old today, and yeah, I've made a lot of mistakes, and I've done a lot of things, but that first outpouring of the Holy Spirit impacted me to let me know that it was real. (laughs) There is no fake about it. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you have that, that anointing of that new language, it just is powerful. I want to pray with you this morning. And I just want to invite you to invite the Holy Spirit into your life. Let's pray. Father, I just come to you in Jesus' name. And Holy Spirit, we just take this time to invite you into our life today. Holy Spirit, we recognize that you are a gift that Jesus promised. The God the Father promised that Jesus would baptize us with a second experience. This is not my salvation experience. I'm already saved. I already have a relationship with the Holy Spirit in me. Now the baptism is an overflowing. It is a a new, a second supernatural experience that gives me the power to pray and to speak and to believe and to have God do His work. Makes me better than what I was. And I just pray, God, that you would just come into the lives of your people. You can receive the Holy Spirit right where you're at today. You can receive the power of the Holy Spirit. You don't have to be in a church service to to receive the Holy Spirit. You can be in your home. You can be in your car. I've heard people talk about getting filled with the Holy Spirit in their car. Jim Jensen, if he was here, he would tell you how he got filled. He was driving out of the church parking lot. So I just want to encourage you, no matter where you're at, to invite the power of the Holy Spirit into your life. In Jesus' name. Amen.